Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Well, there is no state quite like the state of Alaska. Just show of hands, how many people have been to the state of Alaska before? Maybe in the room, maybe you're watching online. There's no state quite like it. It's a state that I've never been to, but I've always wanted to. I've always had this kind of deep desire because I'm fascinated by it. Uh, Because to me, what I have perceived by this state is everything there can kill you. That's what's exciting about it to me. Like, it doesn't matter if you're on a hike on a glacier, an avalanche could kill you, right? You could be in the woods or in the forest and a grizzly bear could kill you. It could be a moose crossing the road. You could pull your phone out, take a picture. It could kill you. It could be the 24 hours of darkness part of the year. I mean, fill in the blank. There are so many things. A bush plane, right? How you travel to and from, place to place. There's so many different things there that can kill you. But one of the fascinating things about the state of Alaska is they actually have this sign because the terrain is so difficult for so long or so much of the year. They have this sign that says this, choose your rut carefully because you'll be in it for the next six, 60 miles. So what, what's a rut, right? We, we drive on roads here in West Michigan, right? But that's not true of all parts of the world. It's not true of all parts of our country. So in Alaska, there's a lot of kind of off-road, right? You're, you're in the bush type deal. And so a rut would be a normal thing that you would encounter. And most of us would see or we'd recognize, maybe you've driven in this before, maybe not. But a rut would look something like this. Let's go ahead and go to this picture. Deep ruts, Right? Deep ruts where like you'd slide your tiles, your tires in, you slide your wheels in. And, and so the sign, the purpose of the sign is to say this, choose them wisely because it's very difficult to get out of them once you're actually in. The longer you're in a rut, the longer you're in a pattern, the longer you're in a routine over and over and over, the longer you're in it, the harder it is to actually get out of that rut. So what's a rut? Let me define it this way. It's a groove or a track or a pattern that has been visited repeatedly, worn down, which made it easy to slide into and extraordinarily difficult to get out. We may not be familiar with driving in ruts, but all of us are familiar with ruts of the mind. All of us are familiar with different ways that we think, different patterns, different grooves, different routines that begin to display themselves over and over and over again. So here's some examples for you. Uh, I have a three-year-old. He does the exact same thing every morning, every night. In fact, he even says it, and it's always in the same order. He walks into our room, Dad, I need a baba, which is his milk. I need a baba. I need a snack. I need my pad, and I want to watch Paw Patrol every day. Every day, no good morning, dad. No, I love you, dad. No, wow, it's morning. Yeah, dad, here's what I need. One, two, three, four. It's a rut. It's a routine that he's in every single day. What about this? Let me ask you a question. How many of you took a different route to church today? Or if you're watching online, how many of you took a different route to work in the last week than you've taken in the last 10 years? Isn't it true, right? Unless construction, and when we see construction, our minds kind of short circuit. We go, ugh. Where, the way I'm used to taking, how, how many of you have done this? You're driving somewhere and you get halfway there and you go, it's Saturday. Why am I driving to work right now? 
Because you just, you fit into the groove. You fit into the rut. It's just your way of thinking. Uh, here's a, a dumb one, right? Uh, I bet every one of you dries yourself off after the shower the exact same way. Don't believe me? Reverse it. You, you will hit a crisis. I've tried this. Okay, let's start. I start with the top. Let's start with the bottom. I have no idea what to do. It's like the first time I've ever dried myself. Walking around with wet clothes for three hours. Try it. You don't believe me? Try it. Other things, morning routine, bedtime routine, exercise habits, if you have those, work routine. I do this. This is so funny. For preaching, uh, I get evaluated. I get feedback every Tuesday morning, uh, as does all of the teaching pastors and lead pastors uh, who are preaching on Sunday. So Tuesday morning, we gather together and we give each other feedback. I have a preaching rut. You've had to endure this from me. I, I start this way every, almost every single time, and I so deliberately did it today because I know it'll be replayed back. I come out, and I go, okay, David, don't say you're excited to be here. Don't say you're excited to be here. Don't. I walk out. I go, good morning, Frontline. It's so good to be with you. I'm so excited. I do it every time, and here's what's so funny about this rut. I will walk out. I'll stand right here on the line. The lights are off, and I say, David, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say the stupid thing that you say every time. And the lights go on and I go, good morning, Frontline. It's so good to be here. I'm so excited to be with you. It is my rut. And I get laughed at every Tuesday. And I go, I already know. I already know. It's been typed up about 19 times. So moving on. Now you're going to watch for it. Here's what I'm going to ask of you. Don't come talk to me after I do that the next time. It's going to be next week, right? And if it's not that, just leave me alone on that one, okay? Here's the thing. Paul has something to say about ruts of the mind. We're going to dive into scripture. Romans chapter 8 is where we're starting. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Here's what he says. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Pay attention to the language here of a rut. Their minds are set. They're set in stone, right? Or they're set in a rut. They're moving in a particular direction. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. There's two different types of ruts here at play. There's two different types. You're moving in a similar direction. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul is connecting our spirituality. Paul is connecting our relationship with God. Paul is connecting our worldview, the way we interact or lead or or relate to other people. He is connecting those all to the way that we think. And that's not a shock. That's not a surprise. Brian shared even last week, uh, look 10 years ahead. How you think today will shape who you are 10 years from now. Our minds are so important, but we have to ask ourselves this question, what is your mind set on? What do you think about? What do you dream about? What, what pattern of thinking or rut or lie, like Brian talked about last week, what, what is it that you keep coming back to over and over and over again? Psychological studies actually say this, that we're bombarded with up to 500 unintentional or intrusive thoughts every single day. That is two hours of rutted thinking things that have been ingrained in us, postures that we've taken, lies that we've adopted, right? You know the whole, like, uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, if you, if you always see yourself as a victim or if you always see yourself as left out or if you always see yourself as, like, less than or not good enough, your brain naturally looks for ways to reinforce that thinking and it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. This is a biological thing. 
It's so interesting. At three years old, right? And this hits for me because I have a three-year-old. At three years old, your brain has neurons in it. Your neurons have synapses. And each neuron has about 15,000 synapses per neuron when you're three. That's all sorts of firing and ideas and connections. And we're trying to connect these things and how we think and how we process. At three, you have 15,000. But as an adult, you have about half of that. Why? It's not because we're getting dumber although that might be true for some of us. It's not that you're getting dumber, it's that your brain is actually getting smarter. It's getting more efficient. It's actually rewiring your brain to think a certain way. It's more efficient. It's actually, the word it's called, it's called neuroplasticity. Your brain is adapting and changing and morphing to reinforce the way that you think, and the older you get, the harder it is to change, right? The longer you've been in a rut, the more difficult it is to get out of it. This isn't anything new. This isn't a surprise. This is something almost all of us in this room probably already know. And we can think back and we can look at our lives and, and start asking the question, what are some of the ruts that I think or that I believe or that are on display in my life? But let's keep reading. Romans 8 verse 6, it says this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. There's so many people that I sit with in my office and so many that I have sat with over the last five and a half years here at Frontline, uh, of which the conversation almost always starts with behavior. There's, there's things that I do or there, there's ways that I relate or maybe there's vices or things that I run to that are patterns of behavior over and over. And almost always, and I, I'm the first one, I'm right here with you, almost always we look at behaviors and we say or we ask this question, how can I change that behavior? We, we look and we get consumed and we think about what, I just need to change my behavior. I just need to eat more healthy, right? Or I need to stop doing that thing or start doing something else. I, I want to change my behavior. I don't want to blow up on my family. I don't want to blow up on my spouse. How do I change the behavior? But honestly, that's usually as far as most of us are willing to go. I just want to focus on behavior. Brian, last week, I thought did an exceptional job of highlighting what are some of the lies that we believe to be true on a soul level that display themselves through our behaviors, that actually display themselves through our actions. So, so when we read this, Romans 8, verse 6, you know, the mind governed by the flesh is death. When our minds have a way of thinking that is focused on the flesh, on the carnal, uh, on the selfish, on the greedy, uh, on just me, when we focus on things that are apart from God, the ungodly, you could say, when our minds are governed by that, the destination it leads us to is death. Something we love, something we care about, something important dies. And we see this over and over and over again. Here's symptoms, some of them I wrote down. Maybe it's abuse of alcohol. Maybe it's an obsession with social media or work. Maybe it's anxiety about the stock market. Maybe it's constant shopping or worry or fear. Maybe it's eating or stress. Maybe self-pity or isolation. Maybe it's an addiction or inappropriate relationships. Maybe it's sex. There's so many things that as you lead these down, as you follow the path that they lead you on, it doesn't lead you to a place you actually want to go. It leads you to a place where something important to you dies. Don't you want to change that? 
Don't, don't you want to get out of the ruts that are leading you toward destruction? The second part is he says this, those, but the mind, that are, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Short term, when we're focused on the flesh, here's something we, we should all acknowledge, right? Uh, we get a dopamine rush on short-term things that maybe give us pleasure or desire. Maybe it's even anger, frustration, whatever it is, the short-term ruts give us a dopamine hit and our brain says, I like that. Do that again. And so we come back again and again and again. And it's like the first time driving down the path and then the second time driving down the path. And then the third time, the short term is that, that dopamine rush that we love. But then the long term is this, it's a crash it's exhaustion or greed or pride, fear, anxiety, isolation, depression, anger, divorce, debt, addiction. The long term leads us to death. Don't you wish there was a different destination we could get to? And here's what Paul is saying. There is, but it doesn't start with your behaviors. It actually goes back to your mind. Take a minute here, just for a second. What ruts of thinking or behavior exist in your life? What ruts exist right now? As you look back, as you look back maybe on this morning getting ready, as you look back on this last week or this last month or maybe even the last couple years, as you look back, what are some of the ruts of thinking or behaviors that exist in your mind that aren't actually leading you to a destination you want to go? What are some of those ruts that exist? Here's what I, I would love to, to say. Well, let's keep going. I, I'll, I'll talk about me for a second. How about that? Um, yes, somebody's excited about that. Well, great. How much time do we have? Okay. Can't wait to read my diary here. So I, I've been unpacking a lot of these ruts for a while. Honestly, for probably like the better part of a decade. About 10 years ago, man, I, I just started noticing ruts in my life started yielding a lot of the, the effects that I actually did not want, that I wasn't happy about, that I didn't want to be, right? Ruts that actually started doing damage career-wise, relationship-wise, family-wise, health-wise. Like there, there were a lot of ruts that were displaying themselves very negatively. And so I, I did what a logical person would do. I went, I need help. Started meeting with a counselor. I've had a couple different counselors since then. I've met with pastors. I met with different leaders, mentors, people that just discipled me and walked me through a lot of this. But I'll share three of them with you. Uh, here's one. Here's a thinking rut that I have. A thinking rut that I've adopted, that I've tried to work through is this. Hard work and good results are what make you valuable. Hard work and good results are what make you valuable. So, so how does this display itself, right? Let's look at the behavior. Man, I got to be the first one into work. I got to be the last one to leave. Man, what, I got to work on weekends. I got to work long hours. I, I got to work through dinner. I got I to pay the price in a, a variety of different ways because good results and a hard work at that, that's what shows me value. Oh, I go on vacation. It's okay. I'll just check a couple emails every day. Over and over and over. So I start digging deeper. So the behaviors display themselves, but what's the wound or what's the desire deep down? Here's one of mine. Deep down, I'm trying to prove that I'm valuable. I'm trying to prove that I'm valuable rather than resting in and adopting the value that's been ascribed to me by Jesus. Do you see how the thinking rut can lead you to a place of destruction that affects your work, that affects your health, that affects your family. 
It affects your relationships. It affects your time with the Lord because you're always going and pushing and driving. And there's an effect that many of us don't consider long-term. Here's another one. Uh, Weakness makes you vulnerable and exposed to attack. Weakness makes you vulnerable and exposed to attack. So what do I do? Hide disappointment, avoid sadness, don't let anyone in to the, to, to the broken, vulnerable, painful parts of my life and my heart. Anybody else relate to that? Most of us, right? If that's you, you don't have to raise your hand, right? You'd be like, that feels like vulnerability. I'm not gonna go that direction. For me, man, so much of my life, I've protected myself because it comes from a place of woundedness. Some of the worst seasons in my life made me feel power, powerless, totally insecure, totally at the whim of whoever it is around me, whoever had authority around me. So this desire, the behavior that comes out is I need to control because where I control, I am safe. What's the wound? What's the desire? I want to be strong and independent rather than be weak and dependent on the person of Jesus. The mind governed by the flesh is going to lead me to a place of death. Things that matter, that are important, will die. But a mind governed by the Spirit, where I don't just find my value in Jesus, but my security in Jesus, actually leads me to life and peace. Don't you love how Paul adds that last bit in there? And peace. And peace. Peace of the mind. Here's this last one I'll share with you. Um, this is one that I've really adopted. You're safest when you are in total control. So, so that creates a desire that manifests itself in a desire through positions, through power, through wealth, through security, through isolation. It plays itself through all these different ways. What can I do to maintain control of me and my life and everything that's important to me? Here's the wound or the desire. I'm trying to gain my provision and security in myself rather than trusting in God and the work that Jesus did on the cross for that same thing. You see how the thinking, our minds, the way that our minds work can actually lead us to a place we would never want to go if we're simply ignorant of it. God's doing something deeper here. He's inviting us to experience life and peace. But it comes at a cost. And it comes at a focus or an attention to the ways that our mind thinks. We will always come back to these dysfunctional behaviors until we develop an alternative path, which leads me to this statement, and it's so important to me. If you want to win the war in your mind, you need to convert your ruts to roots. If you want to win the war in your mind, you need to convert your ruts, your patterns, your ways of thinking. You need to convert those from just, this is what I do because I've always done, to a rootedness that draws on something different. So let's, let's bounce. We're going to go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 starts like this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. If we unpack this, right, if we get a little bit deeper here, because there's a lot, even the first time I read it, I went, isn't that saying the same thing like three different times? Right, the one who walks, the one who stands, the one who sits. Like to me, I go, isn't that the same? But the word blessed, 
says this, the one who, who has happiness or contentment or the one whose ways are straight and right, you could call them righteous, the one who is blessed, the one who is righteous, the one who has a mind that is governed by the spirit does not do these three things. So it starts with this, that does not walk in step with the wicked. This is ways that we think. This is what commentaries that I was reading are saying. It's talking about the way that people think, the way that the world thinks. So it goes like this. Blessed is the one who doesn't think like the wicked. Because as we talked about, that way or that way of thinking, the thinking of the mind, the mind governed by the flesh leads us to death. Blessed is the one that doesn't think in a way that leads to death, but leads to life. But thinking affects our behaviors, which is why he goes to this next verb, stand, right? Who stand in the way that sinners take. So standing is behavior whose actions look different than those around them. When we think differently, our behaviors will follow as a result. So the psalmist is saying, blessed is the one who doesn't just, who, who doesn't just think differently than the world, but also behaves differently than the world. The thinking progresses to the behavior. But then this third one, who sits sits in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Those who sit, what the commentators and the writers were saying, is these are those who belong. That, that there's a way of thinking that can lead to behaviors that, that create relationships and communities in which we find a home in. And when it's ungodly, those that we surround ourselves with, the patterns of our thinking, the behaviors, we will eventually surround ourselves with people just like us. And that, that works two ways, right? The negative would be we're surrounded by people who are all on the same path. Maybe that's independence. Maybe that's freedom. Maybe that's nationalism. Maybe, maybe that's uh, consumption, right? Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's what we tend to surround ourselves with people that are headed to the exact same destination, which is exactly why Paul is writing this. Change your thinking, Change your thinking. If your mind can be governed by the Spirit, instead of being surrounded by people who are all headed to the same way of destruction, you could actually surround yourselves by people who are heading towards life and peace in Jesus. That's what he's pleading with us for. That's what he's saying. This is the path. This is the direction. This is the way of the mind that you need to be adopting. What's funny, I was a, a lot of people don't know this. I was a religious studies minor at Grand Valley. And there's two very different ways to approach the mind, uh, considering like Eastern, what is it? Eastern meditation, Eastern religion, and then Christian meditation or religion. Eastern meditation is this, empty yourself. Empty yourself of the mind. Empty yourself. Get to a place where you're thinking of nothing, doing nothing, belonging. No Get to a place where you can totally empty yourself. But Christianity, the way of Jesus is totally opposite. It's fill your mind, fill your heart, fill your life, fill your soul with the things that lead to the place of life. It's fill yourself. This can be done by carefully thinking about each word or each phrase, meditating on the word of God. That's why Psalm 1 says this, on those who meditate on the law. And the way it was written wasn't just the first five books of the Pentateuch, which is how many Jews would have, would have thought that was intended at the beginning, but the word and the verbiage used said all of Scripture. 
all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God that has been preserved for us in this book, those that are blessed, those that, that are righteous, those that have a way of thinking that leads toward life and peace, meditate on this book. They don't just read. There's a difference. This is one of the hardest things for me, given a bunch of the lies that I shared with you already, to do. To, to literally stop what I'm doing, to sit in a chair, and think. And not just about whatever I want to think about. To, to open up my Bible, right? To read a passage like we just, like we just read. To sit there to read it, to close my Bible and meditate on that. God, what are you trying to do in my heart right now? What are you trying to speak to me in this? Where am I missing your voice in my life? How, how am I not living this out right now? What is at stake if I don't? Who will this affect in my life? How far have I already come? It is such a different mentality to sit. And most of us are horrible at it. But just like Craig Rochelle, you know, Brian shared this last week, the, the author of this book that the whole series is on, just like he said, 10 years from now, you will be a result of your thinking. Who might you be if you meditated on the word of God day in and day out, five years from now, 10 years from now? 50 years from now, who, who might you be? Who might your family be? Who might your kids be? Your workplace, your neighborhood. If you want to change your life, work backwards. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Isn't it funny that, that even when I sit here, I'll just acknowledge this. As I sit, how peaceful the room gets. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It, it's as if we've just created space for the Holy Spirit to speak and for us to hear it. It could change everything. Martin Luther said this. He said he could not live in paradise without the word of God. But then he said this half of it that I just thought was, man, it made me sit and stop. He, he said this, but he could live well enough in hell with it. Right? Blake just shared the story of, you know, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Isn't it amazing how when we sit with the word of God, when we meditate on it, our circumstances can go ballistic, and yet our souls are in a right place of life and peace in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Here's what verse 3 says. Let's keep going here. Verse 3 of Psalm 1, it says, That person, the person that dwells on the word of God, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. I wanted to put this picture up here just for an image. So often what we look for or what we see is above the ground, 
It's above the surface. In fact, this is just funny. Why do I have a stool up here today? That was a great moment that we were just in, right? Man, I wish I could have planned that, but I didn't. Um, the reason we have a stool up here today is I was moving a tree in my yard two days ago. I'm moving a tree, and what I didn't see, I'm walking around in my Crocs, right? I've actually worn those to work accidentally before, my camel Crocs, right? Those things are awesome. Kind of foamy, kind of squishy. I'm out. I'm walking in brush. I'm digging holes. I'm trying to move a tree. And what I didn't see was this little cluster of trees you know, that I had chopped down in the past with a bunch of different little forks coming out of it. And there was one fork about the width of my pinky that came to a point, and I didn't see it. And I stepped right on top of it with all of my weight, and that stuck right through my shoe, right up into my foot. I mean, I bet you my bone stopped it. It was so deep. And I went, wow, what in the world was that? I start limping to the garage. I mean, it looked like I dragged a carcass through there. It was horrible. I'm talking to my wife about it. She wasn't home. She's a nurse, right, which is so good. I wrote in my wedding book when we got married. Um, I went, I'm so glad I'm marrying a nurse because I get hurt a lot. <laughs> and I've lived up to that even since marriage. And so she comes home, and I mean, it, it, there's, it's everywhere. <laughs> um, she goes, I, I think you should go in and get that checked out. And I went, no, definitely not doing that. She goes, eh, let's call a nurse. So we call a nurse, and they're like, oh, we definitely want to see you. You can get tetanus, blah, blah, blah. So all this urgent care, tetanus shot, whatever. I became very aware of the strength of roots for this particular sermon on Friday. Whatever I was going to tell you before, it's better now. Here, here's what I was aware of. There, there hasn't been a tree above that surface for a while, but the roots were so solid. So solid. In fact, this is what I learned as I studied trees, right, this week before my little incident. As I studied trees, most trees have, have a root system that is as wide as the tree is tall. Isn't that incredible? The psalmist is writing, he's talking about trees. He's saying a person that dwells, that meditates on the word of God is like one that's planted by a river, whose roots are deep, who draws on the nutrients of a constantly flowing source. And that in time and in season, when you do it long enough, one who thinks that way will eventually show fruit, show evidence of. Many of us in Western culture, we want the microwave, 30 seconds, click it, and we're there. But a tree takes a lot of time, a lot of season, a lot of cultivation. He's saying, the one who sits with me, the one who meditates on my word, the one whose thinking changes as a result of this, the one who does that is like a fruit that will bear fruit in season. You'll see the evidence of it. That tree will be strong. It will be stable. It will have deep, deep, deep roots. Jesus used the exact same analogy. John chapter 15, Brian talked about it last week. John 15, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, abide in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. Connect yourself to the source. Convert your ruts to roots and it will change everything in your life. A person with roots like this does not just change their life, but it changes the lives of those around them. It changes generations. So as I thought about this and just prepped, even for today, I want to put this statement back up. If you want to win the war in your mind, you need to convert your ruts to roots. I tried thinking, who in my life has done this well? You know, the first couple people that came to my mind were all grandparents. On my mom's side, on my dad's side, on my wife's side. 
I, I started thinking about the patterns of behavior that they've developed over decades and decades and decades of sitting with this book. For as long as I could remember, my grandma was always the first person awake. She'd be up 4.30, 5 o'clock. She'd walk down. She'd sit at the kitchen table. She would open up her Bible, and she would spend an hour to two hours sitting just by herself. She'd pray for us as a family. She'd pray for, for her kids, her grandkids. They were business owners. She'd pray for her employees and those that work. She has changed our family tree because she learned how to sit with the word of God. And here I am talking about it decades later, how much that has shaped me. One more, I would say, I've been waiting for an opportunity even to do something like this, but, but it's, it's our current lead pastor, Brian. You know, what you see is him up here on stage. You see him preach. But what many of you don't get the opportunity to see is what's behind the scenes. Brian said this statement to me a couple of years ago that has so shaped me. And he said, David, success at the end of your life will be defined by those closest to you. Brian is one who's learned how to sit on the word of God. To not be driven and motivated and affected and manipulated by the asks of the world or, or of his employees or the organization or, or whatever it is that's cool and fun. and hit. He has learned to sit under the word of God and be extraordinarily obedient. It's changed his thinking, it's changed his life, and it's changed all of us that are underneath his authority. So think about this for you. If you're a leader, if you're a business owner, if you're a teacher, if you live in a neighborhood with other people, maybe you're a grandparent or a parent, maybe you're a friend, if you could learn to sit and allow your mind to be governed by the Spirit, what difference could that make in the lives of people who are following you? It could change everything. So as we close, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. We have this devotional that's on our website. You can find it. It's right on the front page. It's on the Zero Collective app. Work through the devotional with a group of people. As I sat with that devotional, it starts walking me through, how do you think? Why do you think that? When did that start? When has it gotten deeper? It, it, it shepherds you so well through this process to figure out where am I at and why do I think the way I do? Do it with a group of people like Shannon and I are doing it with our small group. And I promise you, it will change your life and the lives of those around you. So let me close us in prayer. God, we just come before you right now and we just pray that you would change our thinking, that you would change our thought life, that you would give us opportunities to slow down and just sit with your word, to allow your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to minister to us, to show us what it looks like to be in step with you, not just for our sake, not just to change our life, but to change the lives of our marriages and our spouses, of our kids and our grandkids, of our neighbors, of our employees, our coworkers, our friends. God, I pray that we would learn to sit with you to meditate on your word and to abide in you. We love you. We're grateful for you and the work that Jesus did on the cross so that we might put all of our hope 
in him as he leads us to life and peace. We pray this in his name. And everybody said together, amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.